Welcome to the Work Alchemy Podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where you and your unique business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Bill Perkins. Bill is the CEO of Breeze Max Holdings and the living embodiment of what he preaches. After training on Wall Street, he made his fortune in Houston as an energy trader. These days, Bill is recognized for his glamorous lifestyle, high-stakes poker games, and outrageous novelty wagers. He very much lives every day to the fullest. Before we begin, this podcast conversation is between adults and contains a little adult language. So if you have little ones near you, you might want to use your headphones. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I love, I love, I love blathering, so very grateful somebody <laughs> will chat with me. <laughs> Great. Very happy to do so. So uh, one of the things that um, really came, uh, became apparent to me when I was reading your book, Die with Zero, is maximi- maximizing life experiences is a really big premise of your book. And do you think of that as just in terms of what pleases you or something bigger than that? Um, how, do you, how do you look at at uh, allocating your life energy, I, I well when I when I use the word experiences, I mean the totality of every experience. I actually got one reply saying, you know, I, I don't look at it as ex- the sum. My life isn't the sum of my experiences. I look at the uh, my life as my relationship with Christ. To which I replied, that's an experience, and how you mm-hmm. reflect those principles in your life is also an experience. And the summation of those experiences will, will be how you evaluate your life. And so I, I don't mean just things that, you know, going to a club or getting massages or whatever it is, you know, hedonistic things. It could be, um, it could be charitable givings. It could be go, going out and actually doing missionary work. It could be uh, joining the Peace Corps. It could be any type of experience. It's very, very broad. And really what I mean is choices, right? These choices and the actions we take while we're living and, and those actions getting the most, you know, the most out of those actions, most action according to your principles or your desires, using your resources to get the most. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it seems, as you just said, it's, it's about making deliberate and conscious choices about where you spend your money. And um, we're in such an immediate you know, gratification culture, and we're bombarded with many messages about what we should buy. And um, so it's, uh, I think people can get swept up with that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's, yeah, it's not always something people think about. This is not a, a book about materialism or, or, or consumerism. It's a book about using your resources, which is, you know, you'll have varying degrees of money or, or your health or your time, right? at various stages in your life and using those, those resources to get the maximum you can out of it. Right. And not mm-hmm. to be on autopilot, just, you know, randomly buying things and handbags, but actually thinking about in each stage of, of your life, what experiences do you want to have? Yeah. Right? 
Well, that was really apparent in the book. I, there were a few things that you shared, which I want to I want to talk a little bit about. But I, since this podcast is is um, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to it. You're an entrepreneur. You're in the venture capital, and we're in the energy markets. I don't know if that's still true, but um, is is that still true? Are you? Yeah, I'm still in the energy markets. Yeah. I still do uh, yeah. venture capital mm-hmm. as well. Well, you know. Okay. Well, I mean, by their nature, those things are really volatile. And so how would you advise an entrepreneur who's seeking uh, something to increase revenue if it comes at the expense of a valuable and perhaps more expansive experience? I mean, I know that's such a broad question and and perhaps, uh, you know, something, if you can think of a specific example. You know, I, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of uh, type questions of like, well, how, how do I know? And the, the, the correct answer is, I don't know the answer for you, right? But right. I know the methodology to think about it, you know? Mm. Um, and things that should be considered as you're thinking about it. Is this a once in a lifetime thing that you can never be replicated? Uh, your sister's wedding, for example. Is it something mm. that the dividends from that experience, the memory dividends will, will repeatedly and consistently through your, throughout your life give you pleasure? right? Um, mm-hmm. is, it, is, it, is the task you're working on, the deal that you're working on, will that produce more experiences and more memory dividends and joy and fulfillment for you if it's successful, et cetera? I mean, you, you know, I can't say, oh yeah, this is the right decision for you. Only a conscious you thinking deliberately about it could come up with a reasonable answer, right? Um, mm-hmm. what, you know, and what I tell people is the, these, you know, in the book, I go through several ways to kind of like have a mindset and a methodology, a mental model to help you guide you to make the best decision for you. And if you're doing that, I think you're making the right decision. Hmm. Well, in the, in the book, you go to a lot of lengths to explain what you mean by die with zero, because it's obvious that nobody knows exactly, well, almost no one knows exactly when they're going to die. And um, you obviously don't want to die with less than zero because that gets very problematic. But, um, you know, how do you, how do you end up um, being able to balance things so that you come out somewhere in that ballpark? What kinds of things are, do you recommend for helping people kind of get to that point? Well, one thing I, I advise people do is like get serious about like what does your health and your health decline look like? Um, you know, kind of benchmark yourself. There's a whole quantifi- quantified self out there and doctors and, and, and um, even walk-in clinics that will help you quantify that and get very serious about having a very realistic estimate of when your estimated death date, right? Oh. I have, I have tons of people like, what if I live to a hundred or whatever? And like people are dropping life flies at 80 and 86. Like the numbers are not, the life expectancy is not changing. You know, the people are so worried about this tail risk. Um, and what I try and get them to really worry about is squandering their lives, fearing this, you know, 150 year lifespan that they're, they think they're going to have. Um, yeah. And so the cold hard fact of there is a date that is a highly probable case of you dying and it goes up, you know, it gets even higher and higher as you raise those numbers. For each person, that's going to be different, right? My life expectancy is different than the next person. A person who's in shape has a different life expectancy than the other person. And not only that, um, 
what your quality of life will be. Like if you're, if you're significantly overweight or have a disease or some sort of debilitating um, thing, it will, as it gets worse, and I'll give you an example. I have a degenerative back disease. My cartilage is, once it cracks, it it never stops cracking, right? And so as time goes on, my ability to do certain activities will diminish forever to the, to the, to the day I die. And, you know, I, I have a countdown uh, timer on my estimated death date on my phone, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> which I look at, and um, it helps guide me in, in shaping what my experiences are today. Just as if you knew um, if you were going to die tomorrow, that would shape your experiences the prior day. It, it, it holds true from the actual day you're going to die, and let's say you have 10,000 or 12,000 days left, such as I, I have like 12,900 days left, right? It's not as dramatic as the day before you die, but it does inform what you're going to be doing now and what experiences are appropriate for this time period. And, and, and knowing that at a certain date, even though you're living, you're just not doing certain things. I think I'm going on a tangent here, but <laughs> I'll let you ask the next question. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, I, I mean, I'm sorry about your back and, and uh, I know how debilitating back issues can be, but I, I, I'm so intrigued by this countdown timer because I, I don't think that's something that I could do. I'd, be, I'd get obsessed, I think, or count on, go down a rabbit hole of, of uh, feeling um, like, you know, the end is near, even if 12,000 uh, days are left. So um, it's great that you can use that as an ongoing conscious reminder that uh, you're, this life, if you believe in multiple lives, at least is, is uh, limited in some way and therefore do what you choose with it instead of just letting it happen. I think it's liberating, you know, um, it, it, it allows, it, it forces me to live in gratitude and appreciate what I have now, knowing that the ride ends. Um, I think a lot of people are behaving as if the ride never ends and therefore they have less, a less sense of urgency and deliberateness to their lives on a daily basis. And so, Um, I, I know it's a little, it's a little spooky at first. It was spooky for me when I first put, you know, put in the date and I was like, wow, that's only 36 years from now. You know, like, wow, that's only X amount of summers. But after, after the initial shock, uh, um, of the obvious, right. <laughs> um, you know, right. T- taking my head out of the sand, it was very liberating and very motivating. And, and because I had mm-hmm. that timer, I have consciously made decisions big and small that have made my um, experience of living on this planet better. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to, to pull back a little bit from the personal perspective and kind of look at things from a, a bigger dimension. Do you see a shift in people's perspectives with the, the pandemic, people's relationships with, with their life experiences? Yeah, I, I think the pandemic, it's, it's, it's not the way you want it to happen, but what the pandemic has done is, is um, forced people into a period of self-reflection and it's mm-hmm. gotten them off autopilot. You know, we, 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 yeah. we, we get into routines um, and those routines are good because they help us achieve what we want to do. If you're building a business or working, right? You know, you go in, you go eight in hours, you do your deals, you optimize, you do whatever, everything you're going on. And you get in these routines, um, but somehow, you know, you lose that kind of self-reflection and, you know, appreciating what's going on around you and what you have. Um, and 
unfortunately, things were taken away from people. Um, mm-hmm. um, but the, the upside of that is giving them time to reflect of, okay, when I'm not in lockdown, what do I want to do? I am glad I took that trip last year because now I can't go this year. What else right. do I want to do? What relationships do, what people do I miss? What relationships do I want to maintain? How can I get in contact with them? Things like that. And so, you know, chaos creates opportunity. I think every entrepreneur knows that. Um, not, not just in business, but also in terms of your own ability to reassess uh, where you are, where you want to be um, after, after we come out on the other side. Yeah, I, I think it, what I've seen a shift in is how people are becoming more aware of the value of relationships and connection. And uh, that's, um, I, I tend to be an optimist. I can always find something positive in any scenario. But yeah, um, but yeah what, what, is that something you've seen too? Yeah, I think that's a, um, uh, a great survival skill, being an optimist. Uh, in any situation, for, first of all, and I do, I do think that people are realizing how much they miss other people and how much um, strong interpersonal relationships are very important to their, to their happiness and their experience of life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent that they were on autopilot and neglecting those things, there, I think there will be a renewed, um, renewed focus on uh, Strength, strengthening those relationships and creating them and treasuring them, which will make them happier and have a, have a richer, richer experience while here on planet Earth. Well, something that really struck me about the book, and you know, you analyze this situation at some length. I mean, you talk about scenarios like what if you love your work? What if you want to leave money to your children? And we can come back to any of those things. But I, it, I was surprised a little that you um, analyze this situation so much to basically reduce risk. And yet you're somebody who's known for being willing to gamble. You're, you're known uh, in, in some ways for being a poker player and making um, unusual bets. And how do you reconcile the two? How do you bring well, those together? I, I think like, you know, before this was a book, this was like a lot of discussions and I got lots of pushback, right? Because the book is, is somewhat against the culture, somewhat against what people taught, you know, um, and, and the system. And so I had, I felt it was necessary for me to address every single concern that somebody might have in order to do- adopt this, this trajectory of dying mm-hmm. with zero, zero assets. Um, as yeah. far as take, taking a risk, I, I mean, you definitely want to take prudent risks. It's not just let's just take risks for, for risk's sake, right? It's, it's risk reward, that ratio. And, and mm-hmm. what, I, what I don't, you know, what I see people doing um, inadvertently on autopilot is, is, is throwing away their lives, significant years of their lives. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think the book is a lifesaver in, to mm-hmm. that extent, right? Like if you, if you look at just the United States of America and, and, and healthcare costs, like you'll spend basically all your healthcare costs for a normal, for an no, average person, let's call it or a normal person um, in the last like three months of your life. You know, somebody, they'll be spending an ungodly amount of money trying to keep you alive on a bed, right? Yeah. Um, um, in, in low quality of life. And I, I'm like, 
why not take that money <laughs> and spend it now when you're healthy with your friends and your loved ones and, you know, creating experiences and having things that you can recall on your deathbed and they'll remember you and enriching the earth and enriching the planet, enriching yourself instead of throwing that energy into, you know, keeping you on a ventilator, at, you know, or, or machines as is in the case with my dad. And so, mm. you know, I, I don't want people to waste the precious resources and time, the precious resources they have while they're alive, which is their money, health, and time. I want them to optimize for it. Yeah. And th that, well, doesn't mean they, that doesn't mean they can't take big risks. I mean, I take massive risks, you know, but let's not, <laughs> let's not waste our lives. Yeah. Well, you, you, I know you said in an interview that, um, that uh, traders tend to be people that don't get too worked up over losses and, and failures. So it kind of makes it easier to take risks. Do you think you're unusual in that way? Um, I, I think I am. Yes. Not normal. I think in, in that, in that part, <laughs> in that area, right? Like this, for whatever reason, I'm more stoic than the average person about mm -hmm. financial loss. It just, it just, um, or, or, or being embarrassed or scuffing your face on the floor. You know, it's painful. I mean, uh, I mean, even even in a, like a, an emotional sense, like it, sometimes the risk is saying I love you first. Right. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. the risk is starting a relationship that, you know, may may not work, but it's wonderful. And then you get out and you're scuffed and you're, you're broken and scarred, you know, but when whether it be in the business world, uh, the poker world, the emotional world, um, you know, at the end of my ride, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to have some bumps and scars. I want some battle scars. You know, I, I want to have an adventurous life in each area, right? I don't want, I don't want that timid, um, cellophane life. You know, yeah. I, I want to yeah. run some experiments, some, some that could work, and sometimes even that they could work, they didn't work. You know, and that, and that's just the way it goes for me. Um, and, and, and that might be different for other people. And, and, but, but as long as they're not on autopilot and they're consciously thinking of thinking about that, then I'm, I'm quite okay. That's, that's the decision for you. You know, this book is designed to show you a path of like how to optimize your resources to get the most experiences you possibly can, um, in, in your situation. Mm. Yeah, I love that about it. I uh, I know for myself, my parents both worked blue collar jobs and saved and saved and saved and rarely did anything fun. And um, on the one hand, they were um, their savings helped them feel secure because of early experiences they had. That was really important to them, and uh, leaving money to their kids was important. And uh, but they were over savers in the way that you describe it in the book. And I, I think there's real merit to that. I, I, you advocate giving money to your kids when they can most use it instead of saving it up for when you die. And uh, that made me realize how much we do things by habit because that's such an accepted thing. Yeah. Um, that approach. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess maybe back in a day when, there were kings and lords and, you know, the people who you loved worked on the farm. So it didn't really matter whose title name it was in. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, if you're going to be, yeah. if your dad's the farmer and you're going to take over the firm and he's going to be the farmer and your kid's going to take over the farm, what does it matter when you give it to them? They're just always going to be farmers. But now that we have 
different specialties and people who have different lives and go on different adventures and don't stay in one spot on one plot of land. It, it doesn't make sense to wait till you die to give your kids a gift. I mean, they have the same deteriorate. They have the same bodies uh, that other humans have. That means they deteriorate and their ability to uh, convert that, those resources, mainly money into uh, experiences declines with age. Right. That, that's just a fact of life. And so if you're trying to have maximum impact on your kid's life uh, and you want to give them a gift, I can tell you it's not the day you die if you live a, a, a statistically normal life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's, it's going to be somewhere close to when they have all their health and they're, ment- and they're mentally uh, can handle it. Right. And that generally those mm-hmm. two. You know, the science says that's 28 and 33, right? I think your physical maturity is at 33 and, and, and mental is 28. Then you plateau mm-hmm. and then you go into decline. And so, you know, and they also get to take advantage of the memory dividend too, which I talk about in the book. Um, and, and that's quite simply the, uh, the fact that when you have an experience, um, not only do you get joy from having that experience, you get... Uh, a, a dividend, the experience of reliving it every time you think about it or you talk right. about it. Um, and mm-hmm. that, and that, that goes in, you know, from comes out in your memory banks and you get pleasure from that. And so, you know, just as people tell you, well, when's the time to invest? Invest early because of the compound interest. Um, I say invest in experiences early because of the memory dividend and the compound interest of memories. Yeah. Yeah. I was really intrigued by that. You graphed out, you know, when, creating experiences is really valuable and and then conversely what happens as your net worth tends to increase as you age um i really like that mapping out of it i'm a scientist by training so but uh so that appealed to me it gave a nice visual visual of uh of how you're looking at that yeah it's it, it just it just you know it's just even just conceptually right you you, you don't have to have like the tick marks mapped exactly in a thousand, you can just conceptually see, you know, your wealth is going up, but your ability to convert that wealth into experience is going down. And so you have two, cur- two curves that intersect and that area under the curve is really the stuff you get to do, the stuff you get to convert your money into. And so yeah. depend- depending on the person, right, that peak is going to be at a different age, right? And then you go into decline. But the, the concept holds true. Like, giving money to your kids when you die is like this quasi random date in the future, mm-hmm. quasi random people, right? Because right. You, you don't know which kids are going to be alive. I mean, you, we all hope that they will be alive, but sometimes parents do live outlive their kids. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you're not thinking about what you're going to spend on yourself, it's a random amount. So I, I call them the three R's <laughs> random date, random people, random amount. And I, I, I encourage people to be deliberate and, and more impactful with their gifts if they're going to leave, leave a gift for their kids or give them an inheritance. Yeah. I like the intentionality of that because it's not just around, um, well, it's around the way your money is being used. So care, you know, prioritizing the care of yourself and then a certain amount to the kids and then the kids' money is then theirs and you can spend as much as you want of the rest in the way you propose. Yeah. Correct. If you don't know how much money you're going to leave for your kids or what's yours or not, you can't optimize, right? Like we have to right. start uh, optimizing. And it also, it's a good thing also that just forces people to think about, you know, 
there's sub-optimizations. How much should you leave your kids? What should you give them? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's trust, grat, all these structures, right? That's for other books. But what I'm trying to do with the macro optimization is like, hey, you have these resources. Their lives need to be optimized. Your lives needs to be optimized. You're a unit. This is how, this is a methodology to get the maximum for both of you, yourself mm-hmm. and your kids. Do you think this approach is limited to people with wealth as opposed to the average person? Um, I, I do think that um, if, you, if, you, if you have a pulse, <laughs> and, and you have <laughs> dreams and a choice. I, I think it applies to everyone. I, I obviously, you know, people with money, the, the, those savers and have wealth, they are squandering the most, right? They are wasting the most, but people have choices. You know, I, I talk about, you know, the health curve, the health curve, the health curve, you know, the decline in your health applies to everyone. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how much money you have, right? So if you're like, hey, I'm just going to sit at home and watch Jeopardy today. You guys go hiking. I'll catch you. You delay that to later. Well, you may never hike. You know what I mean? You may never do that, that hiking trip. And hiking's free, right? So it's about the choices and your time and realizing how you decline. Now, if you don't have a bunch of cash to convert into all these other experiences, that's fine. But you still have to get the ordering right for what experiences you can have. So I, I do think that Everyone gets value from reading this book. And even if you don't have money, one day, hopefully you will, right? You have mm-hmm. dreams and you have things to think about. Maybe you're thinking about going into debt, borrowing from your future richer self to give to your poorer self right now, right? It, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that I think everybody can get value out of it. But um, the oversavers, they will get a lot of value. And the undersavers, people who are, or who are like, wait, I'm not optimizing. You know, there's the other side of the book, which, which we don't, we go into it, but probably not as, as much as people who are lighting their money on fire now don't realize <laughs> how many experiences they're foregoing in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause this book is about balance. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, I think it's a, a recognition I and mean, you talk about this in the book about the changing utility of money. Um, as time passes and, and uh, something you, I think you talked about this in an interview that um, you threw a birthday party for your mom in Scotland and uh, she was at an age where you felt like if you waited any longer, that experience of bringing family together for this really special celebration of her would be a problem. It, it oh, potentially, yeah. Not only was it a, not only would it have been a problem in the future. We basically kidnapped my mom to go on that trip. We basically said you <laughs> had to go. She had the time <laughs> of her life, but it, it was really difficult to get her to go. And that's not just health, right? It's attitude, right? You, mm-hmm. you people have shifting attitudes as they get older. You know, you just yeah don't want to like. You can't wake me up at three a.m. to go to the club. I'm just like, I am in bed. I'm asleep. When I was 21, I'll see you there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you call me. All you have to do is say there's girls there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm getting up right now. <laughs> see you in five, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, your attitudes change, your, 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 your taste change. And so, but even though you may not like doing a certain activity, like I wouldn't like playing football right now. It'd be like a terrible experience for me. I still have mm-hmm. wonderful memories and memory dividends for the times that I did play football, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, 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 I get to live off the richness of that experience. 
it's part of my my the narrative of my life and and what makes me happy today yeah yeah it's great well i i know that you believe in um universal basic income which i do as well and um i think that could take care of a lot of the concerns that people have around um some of the basic costs of their day-to-day lives and um you talked about unleashing creativity and entrepreneurship and i think that could be really powerful thing what are your current thoughts on that yeah i I still i still hold the same belief you know one of the things about um you know america is you know when we started out right there was plots of lands and people can go live off the land and and you didn't have to go work for somebody right you could work for yourself there is no place in the united states of america or very few where you can just go squat hunt elk or or deer or bison or whatever it is feed your family and live off of it right if you want to plot a land you got to go work for somebody and 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 earn and and save and then go buy this plot of land etc and so there's an element of force in that right just the system the way it's set up you're not Mm -hmm. free the land isn't free you know it's not like the old old days uh 1776 or prior or, or even even early 1800s and so that that puts people in a in these very difficult choices of i must do x job or starve right right or be homeless or x y and z um whereas maybe they just want to write a novel or be a poet or work on some hard very hard math problem or work on a play or whatever it may be right and so i think that ubi um removes that element of force with, res- uh, with respect to existing, mm-hmm. right? We have tied existence to work. Right. And not just work for yourself, work for someone else. And I, yeah. I would like to decouple existence from work. And that, that, that's separate, you know? In, in my book, I tell people like, okay, you have to solve for your survival number. There's one day when you won't have revenue. And, and whatever the bare minimum is you need to survive, we need to save and save for that number, right? And then mm-hmm. the rest is just other experiences we choose. It'd be great if we didn't have to solve, uh, solve for that survival number. Yeah, and I think it influences society in, in, on many levels that, um, you know, working to survive because then it goes all the way up to even when people are making enormous amounts of money, I think it's kind of an ingrained principle that maybe comes out sideways, like the thrill of making money, which then exceeds the thrill of actual, actually living, which is something you said in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, uh, the hamster yeah. in a wheel effect, you know, it's like the thrill yeah. of running in the wheel beats the thrill of getting the cheese. They just run now. They've been habituated into doing whatever they're doing. So. Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, there's a, number of things I'd love to to um, to ask you about, and I think one of them that I, I really wanted to to talk about today is around time buckets versus a bucket list, because we all mo- most people I think have at least thought about the idea of a bucket list and maybe have a few things in mind, or they've actually created one. But you're suggesting instead to create time buckets. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So what I like to do is, you know, let's first just talk about bucket list. Bucket list is just things you want to do before you die. Right. Usually there's a movie about it. People like have this idea of, you know, I want to, I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to do X, Y, and Z. I want to, I want to go to France. I want to, 
see this sunset from Greece or whatever it is, right? Um, and th these, to me, that's almost like dimensionless. It needs a time, right? Because before you die, I'm like, okay, when you're going to die? When's your statistical death date? Most people can't answer that question. I can, <laughs> but, right? And so, you know, it's like, okay, before I die, and it's kind of like, but when, by when? And so I, 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 if, if you're deliberately living, right, you have an idea of when you want to have these experiences and certain, certain experiences are for a certain uh, period in your life or, or, or date. So whatever age you are, say you're 45 and, and, and I'd say break it up in five-year buckets, right? Five-year five -year mm -hmm. increments. And we would do what's called time buckets. What experiences do you want to have in this five-year period? What experiences do you want to have in this five period? What experience all the way to the grave? 75, 80, 80, you know, 86. You can, you can expand them out or make them as small as you wish. But with that, what you get to see is, is like, hey, certain experiences naturally fall earlier and certain experiences can naturally fall later in life. Like what? Um, can you give some I, examples? Well, um, I think going to, going to the opera, playing chess, um, um, Volunteering at the UN, volunteering at the UN, they they can they can, you can do them earlier, but they'll they'll fit in later in life for me. Huh. Earlier mm -hmm. for me is wave running, skiing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Skiing. Right. You know what I mean? Climbing Mount Everest. Climbing Mount. Climbing. Go to Machu Picchu. That's a mm -hmm. that's a serious hike, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so and so these activities experience, or it might be, you know, if you're younger, it might be get married, uh, you know, have three kids, you know, go to college, climb Machu Picchu. And what you're going to see is based on the choices. And when you put them in these time buckets, you'll see certain things conflict. You're like, Oh, I can't, can't I'm not going to be uh, doing a month off of Everest with toddlers in my house. Right. So mm -hmm. that's got to sure. go. And then, then they got school and there's baseball games and then there's, you know, graduation and swim practice, whatever. And then you're like, Oh, I got to do it after they leave. Right. And so right. maybe it's time to do it move it way, 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 way forward in your 20s or 30s or before you get married, right? Mm -hmm. And then you might say, oh, I, I, like myself, I'd be like, well, I injured my back. I think it's, it's not realistic to think that either one, I'll be able to do it or two, I'm going to enjoy it as much later in life than now, mm -hmm. right? And so th then you get to see kind of like this outline, this map of like, what do I want out of this life? from now to the grave in each period. Yeah. You know, because people have this idea like, oh, I'm going to die next month. Let me run around and do all these things I have on my list. It, it just doesn't <laughs> work that way. <laughs> right. Well, it certainly makes things more intentional and you get to make some choices and, and look at, um, you know, is this a good time for me to do this? Maybe it is. And therefore, I should just go ahead and do it, which uh, I think could be really activating. Well, the more you do this exercise, the more you put things in a bucket, the more refined, the bigger that spreadsheet gets, you're actually going to know what you're saving for. Am I undersaving right. or am I oversaving? You'll know exactly right. what you're saving for because you know the events that you're going to spend money and what they cost. Right? And yeah. you will see your spend curve. And, and it, so, it'll, it'll pretty much mimic all the data that's already out there. As people get older, they spend less money. Hmm. It is just yeah, a, which, which is just a fact of life. 
it is yeah. because, it's because movement is life, right? Like I, I talk about it in the beginning of the book of how we're energy processing units. And mm-hmm. when we process energy, it enables us to move. First, the neurons in our brain and also our muscles, mm-hmm. they fire. And that movement allows us to experience all of what God has given us, right? This, this mm-hmm. green earth, right? And as you get older, your ability to process energy goes down. You actually have less watts per kilogram of energy. Your bone density goes down, your lung capacity, your mental acuity, all these things go down. So that means you will be having less experiences and you will be spending less money. It, it's almost right. a physics equation. If you get, if I could have written this very technical, <laughs> this book, <laughs> but I didn't, right. I, you know, it's, um, but th- that's just kind of the cold, hard reality of life um, yeah. for everyone. And, mm-hmm. and so I think bucketing your experiences gives you kind of that, in, like you said, an intentional, deliberate way of living and making sure you identify the reason why you go to work, the why you're earning money. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know that uh, you, you've actually said um, nobody does anything great alone. And so kind of going from the analytical perspective of what does your life look like? What do the time buckets include? What are you saving money for? I, I'd love to um, delve a little bit into your business because you've had several businesses, I believe. And um, that question of nobody does anything great alone uh, really is striking to me because it's, it's so related to having impact. I, I think you can't have impact alone. So what do you, what, how would you describe your leadership within the companies that you've founded and led? Oh, my leadership is get the hell out of the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I generally, you know, I have a vision and strategic and then I hire people. I tip, I'm always firing myself from a particular job in the business um, oh. and getting out of the way. And so um, my leadership is to give the people the resources, the latitude to fail, experiment, and get stuff done and, and kind of give them kind of like w- what I would like done and get out of their way, you know, and, and come in when it's like, uh, there's a strategic question, or maybe I have a point to look at it or a way, you know, to help, but to get out of the way. Yeah. You know, so how would, how would you describe the culture of your company then? I mean, it, it sounds like there's a lot of emphasis on self activation and yeah, it's very, it's very flat and it's very like, Go ahead. You know, one of my favorite things I say at work is why guess when we can know. So a lot yeah. of times they'll, there, there'll be a question or an answer. I'm like, well, it'll cost us much to run the experiment. I'm like, run the experiment. <laughs> why guess when we can know, you know, right. Why not yeah. try? Oh, I think we can make money doing this. Or I think we do is like, why guess when we can know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and give them a budget and rope and latitude to fail an experiment. Right. And mm-hmm. discover. It's a, it's a lot of, yeah. it's a lot of discovery. And so there's a degree of freedom, autonomy, and empowerment in, in, in my organization that doesn't exist in many, 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 many organizations, right? There's just, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it's because they're so large and there's all this accountability. If we did this or they don't trust their people, the budgets would explode or whatever. But yeah. generally I, I'm always pushing my people like, we'll run an experiment, spend more money, run a survey monkey, whatever. Like, should we do this? This I don't know. Ask a thousand, ask two thousand people. Run it on Survey Monkey. It's gonna cost yeah. whatever, you know, that type of thing. That mm-hmm. that's kind of my way, and I stick to 
kind of things where I feel like I am the number one, to, you know, I'm a top 10 person in the world to doing, you know, then I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Then I'll be mm-hmm. the guy. Well, it's a, it's a really liberating approach. If, if there's somebody who's willing to kind of take that initiative and, and do things with it, um, it's, it's really yeah, opens I, up a lot of possibility. Yeah. I have a, I have like a, uh, uh, an employee who who like self-taught programming got into AI and he was working on it and we we're like oh great AI you can do this here we pile this project on them whatever and and then I was like look you can delegate this stuff out if we're giving you too much work you can hire if you know how to you know if you know the people and then he's hiring and that now he's almost he, he's through outsourcing and hiring people and bringing he's building in like this army of projects and code he's, he's like he's learning how to become a manager on the fly He's learning lessons mm-hmm. on using outsource uh, out uh, some of the programming uh, services like Upwork or, or Amazon Mechanical Turk. He's learning what right. works, doesn't work. But it's like I give you leeway. He's like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, go figure it out, go forth and do good things. You know, I I, I hire, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I like to have bright people with integrity that have a work ethic, and then I just tell them go forth and do good things. Don't be afraid. I got your back. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I, I, this kind of leads to my, my last question before we get to the rapid round, and that is, so we've touched on a whole uh, number of different things, and I wonder what do you see as the impact of, uh, of your impact with your, your businesses? Wow. Um, you know, when I first started... <laughs> Big question. <laughs> That's a huge question. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 this might be a little bit of a long answer. When I first started, it was all about the money. Right. Like I, I felt, I saw that financial trading was a leveraged game, which I could leverage my time into a lot of hours of other people's time. And when I, I mean, that means like the doctor, the dentist, whatever, the, the, the airline pilot, who, et cetera. Right. And, and, and that's right. removing the equation of money. If you want to say it the simple way, I would, it makes a lot of money. Right. But mm-hmm. I, you know, people, the whole idea of capitalism is that somebody creates something of value to someone else. And so, you know, I have a role in VC and starting businesses and hiring people and helping other people create value, you know, that other people value. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I see that role in it. And also when I was trading, like I, I, I told my investors, I won't quit them. Right. I said, I won't quit you as long as you don't interfere with my life and my life balance. And, you know, I get to travel on Instagram and do whatever I want. I won't quit you. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And I I feel the same way about my employees. Like it's a great I think I think we have a very good place to work. Um, um, It's very experimental and I want to empower them to have an impact um, on their lives and other ideas that they have within, you know, and within the organization. And so, you know, I'm a cog in a wheel. I, I feel myself, my impact at work is like, I'm a cog in a wheel. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are other, there's millions and millions of cogs, but, you know, I, I think I'm one of the good cogs in the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, thank you for, for answering that. Well, I, as a... Um, at the end, I, I always ask my guests three questions about impact. Are you game? I'm game. All right. The first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Oh, I mean, you, you, you've said it. Like, it, it, it's become a model. Nobody does anything great alone. Hmm. You know, and um, 
I've learned it in different ways. Um, I, you know, a lot of my charitable giving was very private. Like I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't say anything. And um, my my football coach Saint P- from St. Peter's Prep says, no, you have to, they have to see it's you. They have to see it's an African-American kid from Jersey City making this donation because that mm-hmm. inspires them. And that's that's right. another form of impact. And so, and it's another form of nobody does anything great alone, right? The other thing is, is um, asking for help. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, um, this goes into nobody does anything great alone. You know, they're like, I do it myself. I, I'm self-made. You know, they have this in their right. ego and their structure. Like I have it, right? And it's really, really hard for them to ask for help, right? <laughs> but when I, turn, when, I, when I, you know, learn the things like, hey, I don't give, I don't care who you are. Nobody does anything great alone. I mean, you know, and I use the, even Jesus had disciples, right? right. <laughs> you know, right. Son of God had disciples. He had help, right? And so to spread the word. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, you, you can ask for help. You can, you can enroll people in your vision and ask for help and you will get great things done. Otherwise, you'll do good things, but you, you won't do anything great, you know? And so that, that's no. one of the major things I learned about impact is you need to enroll people in your vision. Mm, that's great. Well, the second question is, what's one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Oh, wow. That's a real good question. I, I think I've been um, at peace with going bust. <laughs> I, I, I've been at peace with failure. Um, and, and I've, I've wrestled with the, the ego enough to, and it's not even the money, right? Like I think most of the time, like in the beginning, I, I just feared people talking about me like, Oh, you stabbed this money and he lost that and whatever right. and see this. And you know, you, 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 that, you know, at first I tried to minimize it, but when I really thought about it and I was really aware, I was like, that was a huge part of my fear of trying something and doing something. And when mm-hmm. I finally got that under control and wrestled with that and like really, you know, some people say, I'm going to curse, close your ears if you don't want to hear it. I don't give a fuck. They don't really mean mm-hmm. it. But when I really got to that, that level, um, it, it, unleashed, um, it unleashed me. It yeah. really allowed me to, to take prudent risks when I saw them and not be afraid. It also, um, and also it allowed me not to panic in situations, right? Like you get in a situation, you're like, oh my God, it's going bad. And then if you start panicking and you get emotional about yeah. it, your decision process thing. just gets worse, 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 right? You're, right. It, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, your, your logic just goes out the window. And so since yeah. I don't have that um, to, the ex- uh, uh, to the extent, it allowed me to really deal with some extremely difficult um, situations and, and, and bail myself out of some holes when I almost went broke twice. Yeah. Well, and you can be creative and innovative and, and fear puts a, a dead stop to all of that. Right. Yeah. Correct. Well, well, the last question, Bill, is what's one piece of advice or some insight you'd share with an, uh, a business owner who's asking themselves, well, how can I positively affect things? How can I have impact? What would you say to them? Wow. Um, impact. You mean like they're, they're already a successful business owner and... And they want to have well, impact? Yeah. I mean, the way I define impact is where you and your unique business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. So that's my, that's my context. 
I would say, I would say um, that the same way that you became successful in growing your business is align, align leverage with your vision. Hmm. And so like, you know, I'll, I'll go the business side and I'll, I'll, I'll just switch it over. Like, yeah. If you want to open a pizza parlor, almost anybody can open up a successful pizza parlor, right? They're, of the restaurant mm -hmm. businesses, that's one that's usually going to survive if you pick the right spot. Mm -hmm. But not everybody becomes Pizza Hut or Papa John's or whatever, right? And that's right. leverage, right? Mm -hmm. Being right and having leverage. And so if you want to have an impact on whatever it is, look for the leverage point in your, in your mission where you want to have an impact. Mm -hmm. And that might be that might be leverage of an existing infrastructure, might be leverage of people or the internet, or it might be financial leverage. But look for the leverage point so that you can enroll people and get get your get your your thing done, however you want to have yeah. impact. Mm, I like that. Whew. Well, Bill, thank you so much for uh, for being here today. Uh, the uh, I mean, the range of of topics we looked at was really wide ranging and some really deep questions about. Not just what do you want to do with your money, but what do you want to do with your life? So thank you so much for being here and for sharing your uh, perspectives on all of that. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to me. You know, I blather a lot. So I hope, I hope everybody <laughs> got value who's listening. I hope you got value. But I, it was really oh, wonderful okay. being on. Great. Well, it, it definitely was valuable. So if people want to get in touch with you, what, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, where can they buy your book? Um, my book is sold everywhere, hopefully. Well, um, you know, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, independent bookstores, support those independent bookstores. They're struggling. Mm -hmm. um, it, should be, it should be everywhere. If you just type die with zero, that it's going to pop up um, in your Google or Bing search bar. Um, okay. And there'll be multiple outlets you can purchase it from. If you want to shop it up with me, I'm frequently in the Twitter streets battling. Um, I'm addicted to Twitter. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so I am at bp22 on twitter that's at okay. b as in boy p's and peter 22 on twitter and on instagram i'm just bill perkins you can just i don't know see where i'm at traveling you know i, I keep it as my diary so you get to peek in my diary ah, great all right well thanks so much bill and thank you for the work you're doing in the world i appreciate it thank you thank you for joining me if you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.